Colcast. Colcast. All right, yeah, so this is episode two of Colcast. Uh, episode one was a roaring success. Our fans loved it. It hasn't been released yet, but I'm assuming that's going to be the reaction. Um, but we're here with episode two. We're talking about R&D, and we have significantly more people here. Uh, episode one was just me and Nate talking to each other, but now we have Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Sponsored by Five Guys Burgers and Fries. We have Victor. Hey, uh, guys. And then everybody else can just introduce themselves. I've been talking too long already. <laughs> why did you Why did you just introduce Victor? Why can't Victor say himself? Victor no, can't say his own no, name. No, it doesn't work like that, that way. You gotta wow. You gotta introduce Vic. Okay. Yeah, right. this is Victor. Everyone yeah, everybody else. Everybody else can. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, me. so I, I'm I'm Doug. I actually live with Vic. Um, that needs to be said. I, I live with it with that guy. All right. Okay. And we have Bryce here. Hi, I'm Bryce Birchall. I'm a senior researcher here at Coal Fire. We have Victor Teisler as a consultant at Coal Fire Labs. Nate, me. Go, no, continue. Right, Go right. Continue. Nate Curry <laughs> here, who is also a consultant at Coal Fire Labs. Yep. And Logan. Logan, the other me. host on the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also a consultant. I've been doing some research projects, projects lately, which I'm excited to talk about. Um, and then Doug. You haven't done any R&D stuff yet, have you? But... No, just talk about it. Just talk about it. I don't do it. I just talk about it. Um, but it's going to be fun. I want to start off just by sort of talking about how R&D got started. Um, because I know when I started here about a year and a half ago, uh, there was no R&D department. Um, it was something that was floated around, and the general response was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool to do someday. But I just wanted to get Bryce's insight especially on uh, like what, what was the catalyst that, that got R&D going. Right, right. And I, I guess it's kind of a combination of a squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, Marcello Savati, a uh, bike leader, uh, really pushed hard for this before he uh, moved on to greener pastures. And uh, it was part of that effort that this came about. And when we started it last year, February 1st, uh, and then we had some really good results come out of it so that the business side could see, hey, this is a valuable thing. You guys saying that you want to develop new things and us not giving you money for it or time to do it, uh, that hurts us as a business. So we're really glad that we were able to do some cool things, sedge, um, show some light on how we can help the business and grow it. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I remember your iOS jailbreak uh, release was the thing that first sort of got everybody like, oh, wow, we really need to be doing R&D more because um, that got a lot of attention and... I, from what I understand, I, ha I wasn't in the, the room when these discussions happened, but from, from what I've heard, we got a lot of contracts because of it. Like, people contacted us like, hey, I saw that jailbreak article. That's super dope. Can you guys do some work for us? I definitely had some people bring it up and say, hey, are you that guy? Yeah. yeah I have this really weird esoteric question. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to answer this. I, I'm really just, just a learner myself. I'm so. an iOS developer. I need your help. You're like, oh. oh. <laughs> I only break things. I don't really put them together. But. Yeah. No, R&D is super fun. And I encourage anybody that um, is starting at Coal Fire to submit an R&D proposal because it's such a like fun way to do work. Like, it breaks up the monotony. It lets you pursue something that you're, like, actually super interested in. Like, you know, you might not really enjoy testing web apps that much, and you get a lot of web app work or something, or you have, like, a long contract where you're testing a ton of web apps, and just getting that R&D project, spending a week working on something that you think is super cool and will maybe bring additional business or help your teammates out, like, it's worth it. It's worth the time. Yeah, I, I like that it's an opportunity to pioneer new things. You, know, it, you have uh, time set aside to do your own research and try to come up with something new. Right. And that's great. Yeah. And, so, oh, go ahead. And one of our central goals actually is external to us. And, you know, there's a development portion in R&D that is internal to the company to help make us more efficient. But also uh, one of our main and primary objectives is to create techniques and tools and share them with the community for free just because we really want to get the word out there on some of the new things that are coming up. Yeah, I, I like that we've gone that approach with the R&D output, like what uh, what the rest of the company expects us to produce, because I know a lot of companies would say, oh, well, if you're doing research and development, it's just going to be internal stuff. We only want closed source tools for us to use. But I think that we're taking that approach where we put out some open source stuff, we put out some closed source stuff for us to use for ourselves. Like, I really like that. Yeah, and the way we have it set it up here at Coal Fire 
is that uh, any consultant, any penetration tester can propose a project and then you know we'll, we'll take a look at it and go, oh yeah, this is awesome. And uh, they'll, they'll get time carved out for that. So it's not just a couple of elitist people saying, hey, I'm the only smart person here at this company. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's more crowdsourcing and building off of everyone's great ideas, which really kind of builds a more powerful machine than any one or group of people could. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of R&D projects that I know of that uh, are sort of focused on that crowdsourcing thing. Like, it's you're going to be recruiting people that might not be comfortable submitting their own R&D proposal for their own project, but you're still getting them involved in R&D. Um, Colcast, for example, uh, is an R&D project. Like, Nate and I were sitting there one day and just talking about podcast stuff because I, I did a personal podcast in the past and Nate you, you had some, some experience recording right? and stuff yeah, YouTube yeah. Stuff. so it was it was super awesome like we just had an idea and we submitted it and went ahead and recorded episode one as just like a pilot you know hey let's try it out and see how it's received and now we're getting paid to record a podcast which yeah, is like awesome. super awesome yeah uh, very very happy to have this opportunity and uh, inviting other people along to record like why not, right? They get to be involved. They get to have conversations with, with my homies and we get to put it out like as a deliverable for the company. So pretty interesting. Yeah. And I feel like like we have a lot of conversations just in the office and it's pretty awesome just to be able to get it recorded and like, you know, out there for other people to join in and comment on and things like that. Yeah. Because one of the cool things of this field is everyone has their own speciality. They have a deep dive into esoterica that you'd never really know about unless you had those conversations with them. And so I see this as a platform for our consultants and our penetration testers and, and more to share some of that knowledge. Yeah, well, and, and they just get to explore it too. Like if someone is super duper into phishing or something or super duper into password cracking, uh, they can say, you know what, I wanna spend like a couple of weeks just really diving into this idea that I have for how to crack passwords more efficiently or how to exploit this thing that I think might be exploitable. And they, like, that increases how much you enjoy your job by a lot, I imagine, when you're on those, like, three-week R&D projects. So you just get to dive into something that isn't necessarily a pen test, but it's still security-focused. So I think it's awesome. I know we're going to be recruiting a ton of people for the Black Hat Lab. Um, for those that aren't aware, we have a class that we give every year at Black Hat. We do it at Black Hat USA and now Black Hat Europe. Uh, the adaptive penetration testing course. It's just a class about uh, pen testing, common, common things that you'll see on pen tests and how to exploit them. Um, really interesting class. And we have a lab that's a big part of it, a lab with a CTF uh, element. And it's been on a hardware server for a long time. And we've made the decision to move it to the cloud just in the interest of portability and accessibility. There's a ton of reasons that we decided to move it to the cloud. But we're gonna have to recruit a lot of help because uh, moving like 12 labs and having accounts and all this stuff, it's not gonna be a two or three man job. It's gonna be like a eight man job. So we've got sort of like a open call for help right now. And I, I'm, I'm sure that'll get a lot of people introduced to R&D. So uh, Bryce, do you have any like R&D projects that uh, you can give us a sneak peek on? I've heard a lot about NPK and I know it's officially being um, like showcased to coal fire, like, to the lab's internal pen test team tomorrow? Do you have like a, a preview you can give us? Oh yeah, yeah. And and you know, I'll just take a step back and recap twenty eighteen as well and all the tools we're releasing. Yeah. yeah. Tell um, us the skinny, the everything. Yeah, we've we've had a number of tool releases and a, a lot of blog posts explaining some of the techniques that we use when we perform penetration tests. And uh, probably one of the biggest heavy hitting ones was Icebreaker, which is uh, made by Dan here in the office and that combines several different techniques to just automatically get domain administrator inside of a Windows environment. So it's a really handy tool. Uh, it's not the most subtle or uh, quiet and stealthy tool, but it is extremely powerful and it yields very quick results on network internal tests. What was the name of the tool? Uh, it's called Icebreaker. Icebreaker. Oh, okay. Icebreaker, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh -huh. um, it runs like Responder and NTLM Relaying and an IPv6 man-in-the-middle thing, uh, like six or five or six different attack vectors. It all runs at once trying to get you uh, creds, whether it be like a domain admin hash that you just relay or um, like an open file share you can upload stuff to. It's pretty neat. 
right, yeah. right. And we, we had some internal development problems where we needed to spin up infrastructure for every single red team we ended up doing. And so Marcello, Byte Bleeder, uh, created Red Baron, which is an automatic red team infrastructure build out, which is really, really handy when you're performing those engagements. Uh, and what, tailing off of him, he also made another tool called Death Star, which straps onto his uh, CME, his crack map exec, which I'm sure people have heard of. But Death Star automatically goes through an entire uh, domain and uh, dumps all the passwords. It's like, instead of a directed attack in uh, an Active Directory environment like Bloodhound, which performs a graph analysis to determine the shortest path to domain administrator, uh, this tool just blasts through and dumps everything. So it's great uh, if you want to show a client the quality of their passwords in their environment instead of having to crack an ntds.dit from their domain controller, you can actually go throughout their environment and grab all the plain text passwords. Just mimicats every computer on the network? Every computer on the network. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. from my understanding, uh, Death Star and Icebreaker, when you combine them, it's like a you know five-minute DA. You start both the tools simultaneously. Icebreaker gets you a shell. It sends it to Death Star. Death Star starts doing all this privesque stuff, and then you get DA with just these two tools automatically. So that seems... Uh, very useful because we get a lot of pen tests that are Active Directory domain pen tests uh, where the client might not have the most advanced security posture and uh, it helps to show the client how easy it is. Like, just look, we were on your network for five minutes and we totally took it over. Right. Um, so, very useful tools. It takes the theory of like, yeah, I have this vulnerability and you can achieve domain administrator from it to like a very concrete reality of, yeah, it took five minutes. Yeah, with two screenshots. Tool A, tool B, look, we got you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Another another uh, release that we had late December that I didn't think got as much press as it should have uh, is Anomalous Cookie made by Jim. Yes. In office. Yeah, I love that tool. And it, it's really, really powerful for red teams. What it does is you are backdooring cookies on the system to provide you access, say in like a red team engagement, and you want to get into like a 2FA or something else and you have access to a box, you can backdoor their cookies and beef hook them. Uh, <laughs> oh, Nate, you gotta sing the beef hook song. You gotta sing the beef hook song. There's a beef hook song. <laughs> that's great. Right. No, that's, that's, that's pretty much happening. Yeah. <laughs> Nate, Nate wanders around the office singing the beef hook song all the time. I want beef hooks. That's good. But I remember it, that. It was, it was really cool how he demonstrated he could steal his daughter's Fortnite account and, and you know, <laughs> pretend to be her, even though she has 2FA set up. Uh, That's crazy. He can now, bypass all of that. Now, this is cookie baking. This is cookie baking. Because Anomalous Cookie is the one where it goes and grabs all the cookies. And yeah, that's like a cookie them. fuzzer. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so this is a combination of both things. Jim has yeah. a love for cookies, man. He's a cookie fiend. He is a cookie, cookie monster. Cookie monster, yeah. 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 Anomalous Cookie uh, provides... That was sometimes food. <laughs> Vegetable monster. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was his epic holiday cookie baking blog post. Uh, Anomalous Cookie is a cookie fuzzer that finds XSS within cookies to enable this type of attack. So mm. everything wrapped up together provides a really powerful uh, way of stealing a lot of money if you're running a botnet and you're trying to do advertising fraud or uh, red teams. Or like Bitcoin mining, you could do that through right. XSS, Which right? You set up a Bitcoin can. miner in the browser. The definitely affiliate can. fraud may be a good um, research and... No, well, never mind. Uh, no, a good R&D <laughs> opportunity? Good with R&D opportunity. Wait, wait. No, we're, we're already funded. We don't need to find additional funding. Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, some of the newer tools that are coming up in 2019, uh, NPK and AMT. NPK is made by Brad uh, Woodward, and uh, AMT is made by Victor Tyser. He had a really cool project on that, and we'll get that to that in a second. Yeah, I can't wait for Vicar. Vic, Vicar. Victor. Can't wait for Victor to, <laughs> to give us the details on that. Yeah, Vicor. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about it. Is now a good time. Ready, set, go. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So uh, the, the AMT project is a codenamed uh, Death Metal. I think that'll be the, the name on the GitHub repo and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so nowadays I think most of the community is becoming increasingly aware of AMT and uh, analogous systems in their in their chips, 
And what I've basically been doing is weaponizing some of the pre-existing you know, standard features that, that ship with the, with the uh, management engine and AMT system. Now, and, uh, I'm going to assume the majority of your listeners uh, are aware of what this is, but just in case there's some <laughs> other person coming out, can you explain what AMT and what Intel ME is? Absolutely. Uh, so management engine is sort of the underlying operating environment. Uh, it does uh, it does a lot of things for the computer, like enforces DRM and, and some security enclaving stuff like that. Uh, AMT, it, you can think of it as kind of a program that runs on top of management engine that enables you to remotely administer the computer. You know, like what could go wrong? So you can uh, <laughs> you can see the screen, you can move the mouse, you can uh, attach uh, CD-ROMs and floppies to uh, to the target computer. You can reboot it into uh, BIOS or into one of those devices that you've attached. Uh, and this is a physical thing that's inside of an Intel chip. Yeah, absolutely. And the yeah. OS has no like is not privy to what you're doing through. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so say you run Wireshark on the computer. Uh, it won't see any of the packets when I'm moving the mouse around or typing on the keyboard or attaching a whole CD, CD drive to it. Uh, yeah, and it is, it's called death metal because uh, it sort of lives in the, in the metal. Oh, the that's funny. I get it now. And, uh, <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the name. I was like, that's, that's cool, I guess, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't take myself too seriously, so the, uh, the actual program names in the death metal suite are named after Metalocalypse characters, which is a show I'm particularly fond of. <laughs> Uh, what are they named? Like all of them? Do you have all? Like, I, I, well, it, it's a growing set because as I work on this, I, I, I notice like, oh, that's a cool feature. You know, I'll make, I have to make a tool for that. So, Pickles so, the drummer. Yeah, so Pickles is actually one of the programs. That's the it's a Ducky script interpreter. So you feed it a Ducky <laughs> script and you point it at a AMT provision device, and it'll uh, execute that Ducky script on the target computer. And so that's a, that's actually one of the things we can do with that is uh, deploy uh, gems research. You know the. Um, the cookie baking attacks or something that we could deploy over uh, AMT. Wow. So it's, uh, I like to think of it as like an APT living off the metal land kind of kind of thing. It's extremely uh, powerful because you send it those ducky commands and you see no network traffic on the host system. Of yeah. course you're going to see it all from a network side because the, you know, it uses UDP. Yeah, and for the moment there is, uh, there's one frustrating bit uh, with this whole thing is that it does require physical access. So this is something you would use on a red team engagement where you have uh, proximity to their devices and it's uh, and you're permitted to uh, to mess with them. So not something you could go make a botnet with by deploying it remotely. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, not, not yet. yet. Yeah. Just yeah. drop millions of USB keys out on campus. So, yeah, uh, and, and, that, and that brings me to uh, to another uh, tool in a suite called Roxo, and uh, what that lets you do is uh, scan your entire network, like a whole side range, and it will tell you what the version of management engine is on the computer and whether or not AMT is enabled. Even if it's not provisioned and you have explicitly turned off the networking component. So it's an interesting thing. Like, let's say you have a firewall and I want to do host discovery and I know you're running Intel and you've got a, one of the AMT enabled laptops. Uh, it doesn't matter if your firewall ignores my pings or different ports. Uh, I know that port's always available because I'm speaking to the hardware, not the operating system. Right, and this is terrifying because just think, if someone creates a remote code execution bug on AMT, they don't need your computer to be on or to have AMT provisioned, they can pop you. And this attack, say your computer gets infected and you wipe your hard drive and put it in a new hard drive, it's still living in the metal of your Intel chip. Yeah, and endpoint like protection Like an actual can. virus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and endpoint protection can help you because, once again, uh, the, op the operating system doesn't get to see it. This is, uh, you're interfacing with the hardware, not the operating system. And it's OS agnostic. So you know, if, you've, uh, if you're attacking a Linux machine or a Windows machine or possibly a Mac, then, uh, then it'll just work. Right, and that's where the Ducky scripts really come in because that provides you the ability to attack cross-platform. If you were going into, say, the Windows kernel, you know, creating a process, going into the e-process structure, you have to have a very uh, good understanding of how that kernel set up, where it lives, in order to create a backdoor toolkit for it, whereas the Ducky scripts enable you to go full cross-platform whatever you need to do. Yeah, and uh, one of the reasons I decided to go with the DuckyScript route is uh, I wanted to be able to like to leverage all the cool DuckyScripts that people have written over the years so that we can, if you have a cool one, you can use it with pickles. I thought it was interesting uh, having observed you uh, work on this is that, and I don't know if you want to reveal about the uh, the OS uh, stuff, how you can load the OS, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, that comes down to a, a tool that I'm currently developing called Toki. And uh, that, that kind of uh, handles the process of attaching a, a CD drive or CD-ROM image to the uh, target computer. And then it, it can reboot it. And uh, so even if they have full description, full disk encryption, uh, we can boot it into a Kali instance and still uh, use it as a, as a foothold on the, inter on the internal network. <laughs> so you can change someone's entire operating system Remote. Yeah, we just like hijack their hardware. Right? And by design, it doesn't touch disk, right? We boot it into a live Linux uh, image, and so it, you can you can say it has anti forensics properties as well. Wow. Right. Wow. Huh. I thought it was interesting too that um, you know you said that this was for red teaming, but I mean, if you were the person that was distributing these devices, um, there's a lot of power in that. As well, that's right. true. Yeah, uh, you know, who knows where a uh, provisioned laptop ends up? You know, if it gets returned, or uh, right, or that's, maybe one that's day like a nation state <laughs> level start. attack of where they provision the AMT or they put something on the, you know, the BIOS and then reintroduce it into the supply chain. Yeah, obviously we can't perform that sort of <coughs> testing, but that due is to legal reasons. But yeah, <laughs> but that is totally terrifying and possible. Like someone buys a bunch of laptops and backdoors all of them, and oh, here I, I don't want these anymore. Like you could buy that off Amazon and just return it and say it didn't work. Yeah, right. if I could leave somebody with a with a key takeaway from from this uh, conversation, it is uh, as part of your provisioning process at your company, it is uh, it's imperative that you explicitly or that you change the password and explicitly disable the networking component. Can you, otherwise, the default password is admin. So this is something interesting. Uh, have you... I, I say it's interesting because it's my thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but have you guys looked into, like, what happens if you go in and take that chip off? Like, what's stopping someone from just opening up their laptop and just, like, desoldering the AMT chip? The Intel processor? It's inside see, the processor. See, that's dot. the part I wasn't sure about. This isn't, yeah. like, a separate thing on the board. This mm -hmm. is, like, inside the CPU. Yeah, it's in the same die. Uh, I think it used to be uh, incorporated into a different chip. However, uh, so this is some information I get from, I think, Purism, uh, a group that does, uh, like, open hardware, open software sort of uh, devices that you can purchase. They, they were struggling with a disabling management engine for a while because when you mess with it too much, you try intentionally try to disable it, it has a sort of like self-health check and it will turn your computer off if, it, if those like criteria aren't met. I, I, wow. I read through the Intel kind of documentation on it and it's an anti-malware thing where if you perform too many writes because it is the memory there has a write limit, uh, it will disable it due to like malware intentionally trying to hurt the hardware of the machine. Okay. So it'll disable the system for, I think, 40 minutes. So there are some protections around it in place. It's not totally left open, but that's yeah. still very scary sounding. Right. Yeah, to, to Intel's credit, some of the, a lot of the features are carefully guarded. Like, for example, if you do host-based provisioning, in other words, you get it running by running software on the, on the computer, like, a, like, say, a Metasploit payload or something like that, uh, it's provisioned into what's called client control mode. And it, when it's in this mode, any remoting features, like trying to see the screen or move the mouse, uh, requires a pin entry. Uh, so the, user, the user's computer is presented with a, with a pin, and that has to be out of band communicated to the uh, remote party so that he has uh, his access to the computer. So they did a lot of things right, but uh, despite that, I think it's a, it's a fairly, it has a lot of useful uh, functions and capabilities for a red team pen tester. Exactly. <laughs> nice. And this, you oh, go, go back ahead. and you, you look at the Bloomberg article about where they discovered, and I believe this has been discredited to some degree, a, a, a chip the size of a grain of rice on a motherboard that provides backdoor capability, but AMT lives inside of the chip. Like, there's no physical difference as you look at it. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah, that's the part I was not clear on. I thought this was a separate thing on the board. This is inside the CPU. That's wild. And to be fair, Intel isn't the only one that has uh, kind of management. AMD does this. Yeah, and uh, so does uh, like Dell, uh, PowerEdge, or IPMI, ILO. We have, uh, we have a bunch of analogous technologies out there, and I can't wait to take a crack at those as well. Yeah, so this research will be published soon. Like, uh, you know, anybody can go and look at it. Is that right? Yeah, it's actually possible that at the time that you guys are hearing this, uh, it has already hit the internet. Sweet. Yes. Nice. Plus or minus one week. We'll see. Plus or minus a week. Our goal okay. is to release, yeah. Well, cool. March. Maybe a sneak preview, maybe a recap. <laughs> Happy to do so. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a bit about NPK? How much can you talk about with that? Oh, NPK is fantastic. Okay. So uh, Brad Woodward is a genius in his own right. 
but he he saw that we were uh, having kind of a bandwidth issue and a scaling issue when it comes to our cracking infrastructure. Because as a penetration testing company, we we have a good chunk of cracking password cracking and uh, just things that go into that. And so he looked at that and said, you know, with my experience uh, in AWS, uh, I'm gonna build this. And so he created a platform for cracking passwords in AWS. And it, it's, it's fantastic. The new uh, hardware that's available to us, uh, that wasn't available to us 10 years ago inside of um, cloud environments like AWS uh, are incredible. The uh, GPU capacity and then our ability to create uh, Lambda functions in order to access that capability is, is super cool. Uh, and so we are very efficiently, securely, and quickly able to crack large sums of passwords using that technology of NPK. Uh, so I have a question, and this question has been on my mind, and uh, I've, I've talked to some other people in this office, and they've kind of had similar concerns around NPK. Um, what's stopping a consultant that doesn't understand how to use the tool that well from going and uploading like a massive ntds.dip file and just ending up like costing the company a ton of money because like obviously if you have uh if you're just trying to gain a foothold on a network you only need to crack like one password and then you can start trying other stuff but what if they upload like a a huge domain that has like tens of thousands of accounts and npk is just sitting there spinning and spinning and spinning like I don't know, what, what's stopping one bad consultant from costing the company hundreds of dollars on one engagement? Well, Brad thought of this when he was designing the tool, and specifically this one use case. Uh, and built into the tool is the capability to see exactly how much your run of a crack is going to cost. And it, you know, it could be simple, something as easy as like, oh, a 10-character space NTLM password is going to cost 90 cents, for example just throwing a number out there uh you'll know exactly how much it's going to cost before you hit the run uh nice so it's it's really cool i wish i have some graphics here uh but obviously this is a podcast and we can't push those through yeah yeah uh, here check out this infographic we're putting up on the screen right now podcast listeners (laughs) (laughs) no it's an incredible tool that provides a really good capability uh especially if you don't have you know, a budget to build out a $30,000, $50,000 cracker box. In our space, uh, NPK serves as a really good tool that gives anyone the ability to use the power of AWS, but for some client engagements where there are sensitive information included inside of the, uh, this, like the hash space, uh, and we don't want that hitting a cloud environment, we, we do have that physical capability of controlling that data. Nice. Cool. Do we know the turnaround time for their support to, to help? Are they usually pretty quick to help? Um, I'm not sure. I think so. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious. I didn't know we had so that it was like that, set up like that. Yeah. I, I've heard the support's pretty good, um, but I don't. I can't speak to it personally. Josh um, is the only one that interacts with them, so. So what sort of challenges, Bryce, have you faced, like, as the guy that's sort of spearheading R&D right now? Like, are... Was there a lot of like pushback from marketing? Do you get a lot of pushback from marketing right now? Because I know a lot of our output is like public stuff, like blog posts. I mean, how, I don't know, what do you run into doing R&D? Well, kind of the fundamental problem that any company will experience when they create an R&D group is that it's not bringing in money directly. Uh, so what, what happens is that you have to have an existing infrastructure in place to pay for it. Uh, as as an arm of labs, we create uh, material uh, for publication, talks. Uh, we also create internal products. And so those are kind of investments that the company sees as saying, hey, we want this in the future. We want these capabilities in the future. Uh, so therefore, we're going to invest in this. And so that's like the iOS jailbreak that was done last year. The company saw it as an opportunity to kind of get a step up or at least maintain pace with the current mobile testing needs that they had, and so they invested money in the creation of that. So uh, initially, your first fight, if you're trying to spin up an R&D group, is to 
sell the idea that hey you know this is going to be a money sink for a period of time but we're look at it as an investment into the company and the company's products you're going to make the company more efficient and you're going to create cool things that are going to drive hopefully people uh to the company uh yeah marketing marketing doesn't marketing loves us because <laughs> we create material for them they, they love to talk about us so i don't think there's any problems with marketing on nice our front yeah, I found uh, personally with Colcast, I expected way more pushback from marketing. Like when we yeah. when we recorded, uh, it was a first take thing. Like Nate and I sat down with the microphone and we recorded episode one, and we sent it to Bryce and we sent it to marketing, mm-hmm. and they had one very very small change they wanted us to make, uh, and that's it. Like mm-hmm. there was nothing. I figured it would have been full of like, oh, can you talk about blockchain? Can right. you talk about like all sorts of little have you like heard of IoT. <laughs> yeah, can you can you mention IoT for that sweet SEO stuff so we can like plug it and say we talked about IoT like get more listeners? But no, marketing was very hands off, and I I appreciate that a lot personally. There's a lot of trust that we need to ensure that we don't betray. Yeah, uh, and. I, I suppose we are representing the company to some degree, but we're also representing ourselves and ourselves mm-hmm. in the security community. And the goal of, say, specifically this podcast isn't necessarily to plug the company. It's simply just to ha- let our consultants have a voice and talk about the things they're passionate about. Nice. So um, are there any R&D projects? Uh, I guess, how do I phrase this? As, as the guy that has oversight to, like, see all the R&D projects that are submitted and proposed, which ones get approved, which ones get denied? Like, what are some areas that you would like to see more proposals around? Like, what what needs more research and development? <laughs> That's, there, there's a ton of stuff. Uh, specifically, things that we are focused on in 2019, that's a different story. Uh, and we'll, we'll uh, publish those as they come up. I don't want to create too much uh, anticipation for something that you know, we may or may not end up doing. But, uh, yeah. What was your question again? What are some areas that um, you think need more research? Like, what, what are some areas that you would like to see Doug or Vic or me or Nate propose? Like, hey, I want to research this a bit more. Like, what, what are some of those things that you feel are under-researched? Like, for example, I think IoT is under-researched. Um, now that being said, I don't think that an R and D proposal that I make around IoT security would get approved because there isn't much use for that in a uh, like pen testing capacity. Like if I were to research IoT, most of the results of that would be like, oh, someone can make a botnet with all these dishwashers or something. Well, I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, that's that's how hacking team uh, in Italy got popped. They they had an IoT device sitting on their perimeter, and that's how the attacker was able to get in and pull all their data out. Uh, so there is there is a lot of relevance in it, especially from an external point of view. Uh, the things that R&D at Coalfire really cares about is the topics that just haven't been looked at or they've been glossed over. Uh, so uh, hard, esoteric problems, like Victor's looking at, say, AMT. There's been some public research on this, uh, but no one's really dug deep and kind of built capabilities for it. Uh, you know, the nation states have already done this, but as far as like the public sector, no one's really weaponized it. And I think that's a really cool thing that we want to focus on is weaponization of things that come out that, uh, you know, uh, one single penetration tester at a small company or, or a security guy trying to validate findings himself or herself, they, they don't have the capabilities of, you know, devoting several weeks to creating this exploit or uh, weaponizing a bug. So. We want to provide that ability to the community and look at the things that aren't being looked at by others. So nice, cool. Um, hmm. Well, I was going to ask you a more. Oh, sorry, were you going to? I was just say uh, back to the IoT thing. One of my uh, interests, one of my interests with the IoT thing, is uh, looking at the entropy uh, at the devices uh, across the internet. Just creating a, an assessment of en- entropy spread out over different IoT devices. I imagine there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of interesting vulnerabilities in there. Right, right. Yeah, Logan, um, on, on your relevance in IoT to pen testing, I remember, I think it was on ThreatWire or something I was listening, they had a, an aquarium. This uh, pen testing firm got into a casino 
by an IoT aquarium. I heard about that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so that's a good point. Like, IoT can be a pen testing thing. I don't know. I was just always turned off on uh, submitting it for more research. But I think it'd be cool. Um, the example that I have, like what I was actually working on in my free time that I was thinking about submitting was uh, Plex Media Server. This. Uh, oh, it's kind of, yeah, everybody, you know, their home streaming yeah. they have their own private torrent server or yep. something like that and they push all their movies to their tvs yeah, yeah. so that's, that's uh that's exactly what uh i've like i have it i have my own plex server that is it has an open network port that goes directly to my home network and i know that i, I don't like doing that i don't like forwarding ports and having my network be open and having stuff sit out that could be exploited but uh that's part of the reason i really started looking into it like trying to find vulnerabilities um, and I found a couple of things. I don't know if I want to talk about them because that might be like, a, what's it called? Like inappropriate vulnerability disclosure on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have a bug bounty program, so that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I recommend everybody uh, go and check it out because I found some neat stuff. I never got anything like remote code execution out of it, which sucks. But um, I found out that admins can like write files. Like if you're a web app admin, you can write a file locally to the server which is kind of scary, but at the same time, usually there's only one person that is the admin and that's their own account. So I don't know. And but I would bring it back to... up to like a higher level, you know, that's the problem with IoT devices in general is that they're designed to, to do something uh, in a very short period of time. And not a lot of thought is given to security, if any thought is given at all. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Latency is like their main concern, right. like getting it done quick. And yeah, patch convenience and abuse is uh, typically in opposition to a security. Yeah, and how often are you going to update your smart light bulbs in your kitchen? No, you're going to throw them away when they break, and that's it. Yeah, and I, those smart light bulbs are cheap now, and a lot of people are getting them. Like, I, I've got a ton of friends that at least have, like, a couple in their house. Can we but, get firmware updates for light bulbs? Is that a... I don't know. I've never updated mine. <laughs> I've, had my, I've had my Hue light bulbs for, like, a year and a half, and I've never updated them. And that might be on me, or maybe I have updated them, and they've done it in the past, or it does it automatically. I don't know. And as a security guy, I should totally know. But all these IoT door locks and such. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, just, oh, look, I'm going to hack your door open. There was um, something kind of funny that I, uh, that I saw that's somewhat related to this. This guy um, made a YouTube video where he set up a Raspberry Pi uh, with a microphone on it to do certain home automation stuff uh, when he played musical notes on a ocarina. So, like, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time little instrument. So you would play a certain song, like the Song of Storms or whatever, and it would start his humidifier. Um, and one of them opened his front door, uh, which just makes me think, like, well, now everybody on the Internet can go to your house and play this little song and unlock your front door. Like, why would you show that? Um, That's so cool. Yeah, very cool, but uh, a little and silly to publish it. Change your door opening songs frequently. Yeah. Good security practice. Yeah, best practice recommendation from Cold Fire. Change the song that you used to unlock your door. <laughs> Make it a pretty complex song. Yeah, yeah or an obscure song. It's a high finding. Yeah, not Happy Birthday. Don't, don't Never go Happy Birthday. Serious thing or like. <laughs> um, what else? Anybody else have any questions for anybody else? Yeah, I had uh, just more like personal questions on like, uh, like what's, how is your uh, home research set up like? You, um, I don't want to talk about that. No? <laughs> 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 All right. No, no, no I'm kidding. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you guys, like, spend a lot of time at home just, like, researching? And, or, like, do you, like, just relax when you get home? Or what do you guys typically do? I have phases, man. I go in waves. Like, I'll have a month where I do nothing but sit at my computer until, like, midnight just working on something. And my wife is like, can we play some video games or watch a movie and I'm like no I'm hacking stuff right now <laughs> but then like three months go by and I don't touch my computer after I get out of work I just I've found that like when I find something that I'm passionate about that I want to pursue more I'll do that and then when I don't have anything I don't do anything yeah Vic weren't we just talking about that this morning on nice would be to have like a cot or something at work so we don't have to waste time driving <laughs> yeah, yeah. you could you could get a lot more research done. Employee of the month right there. <laughs> we need showers here. <laughs> so, we do no, have we do in the North office. Yeah. Oh, really? Showers yeah. at Westminster. Dang. Yeah. Work at Coal Fire. You get to take a bath. Yeah. Well, I no, don't know. No, that's no that's the showers. exec option. You can only shower. <laughs> yeah, the execs get a bathtub. <laughs> 
We're all fired. <laughs> Coal fired. That's a good pun. Yeah, that was. We, uh, you know, I'm really excited for, for R&D in general, um, for the future of it. It's still somewhat new. Like, we're, uh, we're just now getting these team meetings where we're showcasing everything, and maybe some people still feel like it's a little foreign <coughs> to them, and they're, like, scared to submit. But I think the longer that it goes and the more we talk about it and the more people get familiar with it, they'll, uh, they'll submit their ideas. Because we have a ton of really, really smart people here that I'm sure have ideas. Yeah, tons of smart people. Yeah, I'm so happy that the research team exists. It's uh, probably my favorite thing to do in the world, and now I get paid for it. It's terrific. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, um, I just wanted to figure out or um, talk about like where you guys kind of came from and how you guys started into getting into hacking. Um, what kind of led you into this journey? Oh, yeah, a little employee showcase here. Yeah, yeah. Or, I like origin stories. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bryce... Sure. Yeah. I. Uh, oh God. I. I grew up in the middle of uh, nowhere in high ground Arizona, seven thousand feet, and uh, I got a computer when I was six. Wrote my first virus when I was eight. Whew. Started checking out uh, programming books from the library because we didn't really have a TV. Uh, so I. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's crazy. Eight. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been doing this all my life. Wow. Uh, and so. A lot of that experience comes out of that, you know, just doing stuff, yeah. finding bugs, hacking things, uh, all, all legal things. Uh, <laughs> of course. Thing. Never once did I do something wrong. Never once did I do something wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it led me across a couple different industries. I, I did security for healthcare, and worked for a small consulting firm, and then worked for some other contractors, and then ended up here. And you know, it's it's been a really cool journey just to see the different areas of security. And I really find I'm passionate about this. As as the most the, the deepest dive I want to do in security is research development, exploit development, vulnerability research, and I'm really passionate about those subjects. Mm -hmm. So, Victor, what, what's your origin story? All right, I think I remember. How it all started. <laughs> He's making something up. <laughs> yeah, this is all real, you guys. There's an inside joke that Victor is a Russian spy, so he's coming up with a, a unique backstory. <laughs> he's rolling dice right now to see which backstory he wants. Oh, yeah, 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 which one do I go with? Let's no. See if, let's see if it changed. So, uh, so I think I always had an affinity for computers. As soon as I discovered them, I thought they were neat, and uh, I was just I enjoyed using them, working with them like a more like constructive rather than destructive sort of stuff. And uh, I remember I was uh, I was approaching a a like a, a week or two off in school. This was a freshman year of high school, and uh, I was training for a judo tournament. And as part of that training, uh, my my teammate threw me a, a little little roughly, and I landed on my clavicle, and of course I, I broke it. And so now I had a bunch of free time and uh, pretty much nothing to do. So I, I couldn't really do any physical activities. So I was there with my computer. My parents at the time had a stance that I, I shouldn't play video games. It'd be a waste of time. But I really wanted to play video games at, at this uh, at this point in my life, and uh, so I discovered the where scene. And uh, I remember there were a lot of scams that people were running at the time, where you would download a, a where. Uh, you know, mm. For those of you that know what that is, uh, it was like torrenting before there was torrenting. And uh, the scam was that the, uh, the zip archive you downloaded was uh, password protected. And as part of the download, it would say, oh, you know, take a debit card and go register for this uh, generally pornographic website. And the password <laughs> for the zip archive is like the, the third word on the, you know, the third sentence. And uh, uh, I didn't want to uh, borrow my parents' credit card and subscribe to a pornographic <laughs> service at the time. So I, uh, I discovered that password cracking was a thing. And like, you know, you could crack the password on the zip archive. And I remember I sort of uh, took over my parents' computers. I, I put a little, like, I think it was like an out-of-service uh, sign on it. You know, I, I, of course, I didn't buy it. I had to explain to them what I was doing. But I was, uh, I was cracking the password off across three computers. So it was a distributed password crack. And, uh, you know, I, I managed to uh, crack the password. Of course, it was a scan. There's nothing useful inside of the archive. <laughs> but, you know, this process, like, got me to realize that, you know, the, the, like the darker side of computing is really, really interesting, and I never looked back. I've been doing it ever since, and, and that was freshman year of high school. Nice. Did your clavicle ever heal? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great, you know. Uh, I, I think it's good. 
there's like a little bump in there, but uh, nice. hey, I got I got hacking out of it, so I think it was a good trade. Worth it. That's your hacking bump. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, a permanent part of me. So, and you were doing this before it was even a thing, right? Like, it wasn't, like, illegal or legal. It, it, was, it wasn't It was a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the term hacker and hacking wasn't very clearly defined to me at the time. And, uh, you know, I was just out there to learn. Yeah. Uh, everything was for educational purposes. <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah, you learned. That's crazy. No laws were broken in the making mm-hmm. of this podcast. Hey, well, what about you, yeah. Nate? Mr. Bringing Up Origin Stories? Oh, I want to hear it. Oh, yeah. Whoa. The, Whoa. Let's, let's hear from our two hosts. Oh, Nate. snap. Yeah, we didn't do an origin story for us last episode, Man. so I'm going after you. Oh, God. Doug right. gets to go last. Sorry, Doug. Well, this could be tough to follow. <laughs> Um, I started out from like zero. Like I started out like no Linux experience, like nothing. And then um, just from talking to people, and it was actually this Reddit post that got me into it on uh, PC Master Race. Um, I was looking at PCs, and like uh, before that, I saw Cali and played around with it a little bit. Um, but there, there was a guy in there who was showing off his his system or whatever, and he had like a Cali. Uh, a logo on his monitor. I was like, "Oh snap! Another hacker!" Like, and it was just me, and you know, I didn't have any friends or, or that were in hacking. So I reached out to him. And I was like, "Oh, hey, are you like a hacker? I see your background and stuff." He's like, "Yeah, man." And then he told me about like the OSCP and like that whole journey. And uh, from talking to this person, um, that kind of got me into wanting to take my OSCP and then get into deeper into the um, journey of hacking. So. Um, yeah, so I started on that track with like no Linux experience, no programming expen- uh, experience, uh, not the best grades uh, <laughs> in class, um, and then just learning from there and um, doing VolnHub and yeah, just cl- literally just climbing up, um, just climbing up the mountain and trying to be a hacker. I've heard that theme from a lot of people like getting, like learning this stuff. Structured learning just wasn't their thing. Like they either dropped out of high school or failed, you know, in college. Like I got my associate's degree and I hated it and I left afterwards. Like it's just D's get degrees. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. I used to be like when I was in middle school and high school, I was like an all A's kid and after that I was like this sucks. Because like hacking you kind of just got to play with stuff. You can't really sit and have a class about it. Yeah, I used to be a straight-A student as well, and you can actually see the moment that I discovered hacking. My grades uh, changed for the worst. <laughs> Staying um, up late, trying to learn stuff, and just sli- like almost sleeping through classes during the daytime. Yeah. All right, so I lied. I want Doug to go next. I tricked you, Doug. Oh, well. <laughs> you, you might do some editing. I don't know what you're going to think is relevant. Uh, well, but, um, uh, well, we're going to edit see. that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, recursively edit this part. We can't let people <laughs> but, know that we edit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I've just always been a very curious person. You know, as a, I was a nerd uh, growing up. You know, uh, always. Uh, doesn't mean I was the best student, but uh, I've been just interested in learning. Um, you know, I did uh, digital logic and C plus plus and things in high school, and you know, I always loved computers. Um, you know, and I also did other things too because uh, I don't know if it's ADD or what, but I've always had these really variegated and eclectic interests. So, um, what really got me started, I guess I would say, is that, you know, I had this computer background, you know, like a lifelong interest in them. And then uh, I lived with Dan McInerney in uh, college. Um, and he got me uh, started on Python. And, uh, you know, we, we remained really good friends through the years. And I decided I wanted to go visit him, you know, up here in uh, Westminster uh, about a year ago. And, uh, you know, I met Vic, I met Stick, you know, I met Logan, Bryce. I don't know, Nate wasn't there at the time. But, um, wow, Nate. <laughs> way to not be there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, actually, the R&D department's working on a time machine that we're probably going to be able to fix. You're not supposed to talk about the time yeah. machine, Doug. Uh, we'll call, I'll, call, I'll come back and I'll fix it. We'll <laughs> I got this. All right. You don't have to edit this. We can just go back. Yeah, you don't even have to edit time. it. Yeah. <laughs> time cop. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and, and give the time travel technology retroactively to an earlier. That's going to cause all sorts of vortexes and stuff. Man. I'm not even worried about the paradoxes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, so I, I came out. Dan showed me a burp suite and everything. Is like, you know, I, you know, I was just visiting, 
but of course he's going to show me cool things, you know, because, um, you know, he'd shown me things before. And I was like, God, this is awesome. And I went back uh, home and I was still doing the personal training thing, you know, and uh, just kind of bored. And I, I was talking to Dan and Vic and everything. And I think they kind of knew I wanted to come out and do this. So, you know, they, they invited me out and I studied as hard as I could every day learning. And it's been a blast. And, you know, then I got hired. Nice. So that's, that's me. I think it's interesting to uh, explicitly say that you started. You used to fight, right? Bouncer. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I was a. I was a bouncer for a while. Um, MMA coach I, too, right? right? Yeah, I was a. I worked in a neuroscience lab for a while. Um, you know, I, I couldn't. Uh, I, I couldn't decide where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. You know, definitively, because I found so many things interesting, and I still do. But this is now my my favorite. You know, this <laughs> is where I'm staying. Nice. Awesome. You know, this is a, the most exciting field to be in right now, I think. I yeah, know, I agree. It's, it's, oh, yeah. Computer security is crazy I right now. I can't get enough. Yeah, and it's going to keep being crazy for years, decades. Uh, it's only going to get more exciting. Until yeah. the robots you know, it's so you, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, once the robots kill us, we're done. It's yeah. okay. We have Elon Musk protecting well, us I, from I the I want to see oh, the yeah. arms race that's coming in cybersecurity, you know, as like the AI and the neural networks advance and things. Yeah. As we have these heuristical models that, you know, are competing against each other. Yeah, well, and, there's like a you know, cyber cold war right now, for sure. Like, nations developing tools and putting back doors in each other's stuff. Yep. Like... It's yeah. uh, it's a war for real. Yeah, this this is where the adventure is now. Fighting seemed adventurous before. This is far better. <laughs> um, so so my my getting started story. I started in high school. Um, I took a programming class just as an elective. Um, it was teaching me Java, and I was like, this is pretty cool. I like this. Um, so I signed up for a uh, vocational college my junior year that was about computer repair and networking. So it was like an A plus, net plus, CompTIA type thing, um, fixing printers and all that jazz. And uh, while I was there, I signed up for a club called Cyber Patriot. Um, and I'm gonna talk about Cyber Patriot for a second because that club like changed my life. That club is super cool. Uh, sponsored by the Department of Defense and like Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman and all these other like defense contractors. The whole thing is that it's a club for high school kids um, it's like a blue team CTF. So they will send you like vulnerable computer images uh, and then say fix them. So not hack them, but fix them. So they give you some creds to log in and you have to figure out where the vulnerabilities are and patch them. Uh, so change the admin passwords, disable these registry settings and all that. Um, it starts off around one, you get like a Windows 7 image. Um, and then like as the rounds go, it gets harder. They start adding like Cisco iOS devices uh, Ubuntu lamp, like lamp servers, um, things like that, and I fell in love for sure. Like that's when I was like, "Oh my God, security is awesome!" Like you mean I can break this, and like this rule says I can't do that, but this other rule says I can, so I can cancel out that first rule. Like just stuff like that. Uh, I, I fell in love. Um, so then in college, I took a pen testing class and um, so I got my associates in cybersecurity and. Got hired on uh, to Sonic Re like drive-in, like the restaurants, uh, their corporate office doing, uh, the job title was cybersecurity technician, but it was a little less technical than I would have liked. Um, but while I was there, I worked on my OSCP and learned a lot uh, and ended up getting hired on at Coalfire as like a junior pen tester. Um, and what been here ever since. Yeah, yeah. I've, I feel like I found my niche because when I started out, I uh, was very intimidated in the industry by all these people that were so smart and had so much knowledge and really, really knew what they were doing and were really, really honed in on one thing, like Bryce was saying. Like, everybody has this one little section that they have all this archaic, esoteric knowledge about. Like, oh, yeah, I know all about C++ and, like, you know, processors and memory bugs and stuff. Like, Victor, very smart about that. There's some people that are very smart about, like, APIs or um, Brad Woodward, very, very smart cloud guy. Um, and I just was so intimidated. Like, I have to find my niche. Uh, and I think I found it recently. I really like talking and teaching. Like I've, I've signed up for a ton of that stuff lately, like going to Black Hat and instructing there and this Girl Scouts thing I did recently, like helping them get their security badge and the podcast. Like I like teaching. It's fun. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, I think when we first discovered you was at a B-Sides uh, conference. Yeah. <laughs> my, my first memory of you was winning the Hacker Karaoke. So, yeah, I think you've always been good at the... Uh, 
at the talking and yeah before i wanted to get into uh like hardcore technical cybersecurity, i was thinking about going for an mis degree which is like management information services or something it's it's like security meets business because i was thinking about going for a business degree for a while too because um, I, I have always been like a talker, but I like the technical stuff more. But I feel like if I learn enough about the technical stuff to then teach it, I can do the talking part and help out, you know? Like, I like that. And that's one of the biggest things is community and community involvement and community growth. Yeah. One of the biggest things that helped me when I was 16, someone took me to DEF CON uh, and I sat down at a table to play a CTF and I knew no one. I had no idea. I got slurped into another team because they needed my port. <laughs> and they gave me, uh, you know, they hooked me up to their hub. And so we played together for the next 16 years together. And I've become really good friends with these people. What? We, we won a DEF CON black badge. We ran OpenCTF for four years. like, And it's just part of the community. And being open to making those connections and really, you know, just putting yourself out there. Because there's a lot of really great people, a lot of really cool ah, interactions that you can have that, you know, if, if you isolate yourself, you just won't get. That's awesome. I knew about the black badge and that you did the DEF CON CTF and all that. I had no idea that um, that those were the same guys that you did your first CTF with. That's crazy. Same yeah, that's yeah. to me too. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We talked about cons briefly with DEF CON and stuff, and that reminded me. Um yeah. R&D, another thing you can do with R&D is do talks. Like, that's another big part of R&D proposals is people going to cons um, and giving a presentation about something. So it doesn't even have to be something new and exciting for Coal Fire or a tool or anything, but if you do some research and want to talk about it at besides whatever local city you have and you want, like, sorry, whoops, <laughs> you want, like, uh, five hours to do this research and put the slides together or something, like, that's another thing you can totally do with R&D. Um, and I'm excited. I'm going to Oklahoma, back home, to do B-Sides Oklahoma uh, in April. I mean, that's an R&D thing. So Justin Wynn is doing B-Sides Tampa, right? Right. And it, it, it's, we really want to fund that sort of activity of, hey, I, I need to develop a new tool or technique, and then I want to give it back to the community. Like, we are 100% behind that. That is what our primary directive is. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, even our travel expenses are covered. It's wonderful. Yeah, right? You fly out, and hey, boom, ticket paid, maybe. Don't destroy my budget, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if uh, R&D has $1 billion, so anybody listening, you can get a billion dollars. Oh, God. Um, nah, so I, I don't have anything else really to talk about for R&D. If we guys want to wrap up, it's up to you. Anything? We could plug the, the Girl Scout that you did I don't know if you and I, I feel like I don't want to be like a spotlight hog and talk about that too much because I already talked about it in the labs update and we already brought it up kind of like okay. I just thought it was really cool that a lot of yeah. people were already familiar that, with coding yeah so I that appreciate that kind of goes that. back to the community thing, yeah you know? that's a good point so yeah the Girl Scouts so um, how, how do we want to introduce this naturally now that we've gone <laughs> into the, the, the world of cutting and editing just one of those and now transitioning into... <laughs> oh, yeah. So we're going to hit you with a cold cast, cold cast, cold cast. We had, a hard, <laughs> we had a hard cut somewhere. Cold cast, cold cast, cold cast. Cold cast. Cold cast. So, yeah, I worked on a project um, with another, another teaching thing that I was doing. Um, me and then Chris Costello, another pen tester here, and then Beck Larson, uh, who was on our Coal Fire One scanning services team. She's the director of that. Uh, she might be making an appearance in an upcoming Colcast episode. She's expressed some interest, so you may hear more from Beck. But the three of us uh, and some folks with like HR and uh, operations, just people that were involved in, in Coal Gives, which is one of the coal fire groups that does uh, like charity work. So Coal Gives goes out and you know will work at a food bank or Toys for Tots, all that stuff. Um, so they got in contact. I don't know how the initial contact happened, but uh, someone from this local Girl Scouts troop contacted him, and I guess it turned out to actually be several troops. Like, I say several, but it was probably like three or four. Um, but it ended up being 26 girls, 26 Girl Scouts total. Uh, they came to Coal Fire on a Saturday, uh, and they got their cybersecurity badge. There's three cybersecurity badges that they can get. Um, cybersecurity 1, 2, and 3, surprisingly enough, and we got them Cybersecurity 1. So to talk about, uh, or to get that badge, you have to talk about like how computers talk, um, 
how people interact with computers, how networks work, and malware. Like, the the rec requirements to get the badge were kind of nebulous and left open to our interpretation, uh, which I appreciated because uh, it allowed Chris and Beck and I to sit down and sort of um, think tank how we would want to convey these uh, concepts to these little girls. Um, but it was great. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking about it too much now, but I really, really enjoyed it. Like, uh, we sat down and we talked about binary and we explained it with coins. So we printed out some heads and tails pennies, like big paper pennies that had heads and tails. And we said, look, heads is a one, tails is a zero, true or false. And we played a little true or false game with them. And then we talked about Scratch, the programming language made by MIT to teach programming to kids. And that's when I got really blown away by these children. Um, I was talking about Scratch and one of the little girls pipes up and she's like, hey, uh, I already have a Scratch account. Can I log into my account and work on the projects that I already have going? Uh, and I was like, wait, what? You already have an account on this website? Like, <laughs> That's you, awesome. you've already learned about programming stuff? And she's like, yeah. Um, and keep in mind, this is one girl in a room of 26 girls. So I'm like, that's kind of uh, unexpected, but cool. You know, one girl has this knowledge. But then, like, several other girls start piping up saying the same thing, that they've also played with Scratch already, and they have accounts. And they start showing me, because I'm like, are you serious? Like, show me some of the stuff you've been working on. And they pull up these little things that they've made. Like, look, I make the cat walk a few steps and mm -hmm. then uh, adds numbers like I'll put in two numbers and it adds them together and he takes that many steps and just stuff like that uh, and these girls are like yeah I'm learning about it in school I'm eight years old what are you going to do about it like, that's so cool blew me away yeah Girl Scouts is really cool I, I have three sisters and I tagged along with my sisters to their Girl Scout meetings and that's where I learned Morse code. I got my ham radio really? license. Really? Yeah. From the Girl Scouts? From the Girl Scouts. Wow, nice. So, wait, you were in the Girl Scouts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, it sounds like it was the place to be now. Yeah. I got a Girl Scout badge out of that whole thing, which that was my favorite part. Uh, so awesome. the, the lady leading it uh, came over and gave me the badge that I was like helping these girls earn. So now I have like an actual official Girl Scouts badge. That's pretty uh, awesome. Yeah, I was super hyped on that. I tweeted now about I'm jelly. it. Yeah, you guys don't have any Girl Scout badges, losers. So, so, what are, so uh, out of curiosity, what do they need to do to get uh, level two and three? So level two and three is just more security focused. So uh, cybersecurity basics one was a lot of just general computer stuff. So that's why we talked about binary. That's why we talked about programming. That's why we talked about networks. Um, security two and three, they're still like nebulous concepts. So they don't have it outlined very specifically. Like you have to talk about this and this and this. Um, but it's just things like securing um, your passwords and uh, like encrypting data. Like they, they want us to talk about encryption. They want us to talk about password security. They want us to talk, to talk about like safe browsing habits, things like that, like more security focused, what, what kids can do to be secure. Um, which, you know, we, of course, as hackers, we sort of like drift over to the hacking topics. Um, so naturally when we were talking to them, especially towards the end of the day, once we sort of ran out of our scheduled programming and got to like open Q&A, a lot of the questions drifted more towards hacking. And these girls love that. Like little girls are like scheming. Like they <laughs> they all want to hack stuff. They were asking us like, can you hack my mom? <laughs> all these things. So sweet. Some of the girls were like, I want to come work for Coal Fire. They Hopefully have... you said no, but you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the kids, uh, my favorite question that I got asked that entire day was one of these girls said, have you ever blown up a computer because you hacked it? <laughs> Oh, wow, like that old news article, hackers can make your computer explode. Yeah, she asked yeah. if I'd done that, and I I just said I hope so. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know for sure, because I don't usually see the computers I'm hacking. They're usually, like, across the, the internet. But but I like to think that you yeah. blew them up. Yeah, that's what I told her. I was like, I like to think that I blew at least one up in my time. Well, going back to that, learning both both sides, security and offensive security. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in this day and age where everyone's Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook are all pushing out the mistakes that they make, uh, yeah. and that might come back to haunt them in 20 years, that's really important to teach kids nowadays. Yeah, well, because kids are, like, living on social media now. That's right. They post everything they do. They have the same account from the time they're 7 years old to 27 years old, and it's like, you can see these kids grow up on the internet as wild. And yeah. employers dig through that, you know, just yeah. to see if you're a viable candidate. Yeah. I think I'm pretty safe in surmising that there was no cybersecurity badge for Girl Scouts when I was that age. Yeah, no, that's this is a new badge. That's a big reason yeah. why they hit us up, I think, was because, like, the badge was introduced recently. Yeah. The Boy Scouts don't have a security badge as far as I'm aware of right now. No, like, that's, I feel like it's really important just to make kids aware and educate them nowadays because... 
you know, I didn't have that opportunity to publicly, you know, humiliate myself on the internet for all time yeah. when I was a kid. Really? Uh, so. <laughs> the, uh, the book, I think it's called Intelligence Techniques or Open Source Intelligence Techniques by Michael Basil. That book is a really interesting read if you haven't checked it out already. Um, sponsored by Michael Basil. <laughs> I feel like every and time i sponsored I'm... by Five Guys. Where's our Five Guys? Yeah, we need some burgers yeah. and fries. Um, no, this has no sponsors. <laughs> sponsored by Coal Fire. Sponsored yeah. by Bryce. Coal Fire. Cold Surely yes. Five Guys wouldn't care if you plugged them. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe they would. They don't agree. Five Here comes guys. the lawsuit. Right. We don't want to be associated with right. your time. I think we're all hungry. Let's do lunch. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, that kind of wraps it up for, for episode two. Um, we're going to have more microphones next time. Um, yeah. As many as two. Yeah, and that's the thing. This this podcast is going to continue to improve. That's a, that's a 100% increase in mics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, statistically speaking, we're off the charts now. <laughs> and we um, want your feedback. We want your interaction with this so that we know, you know, if we say something wrong, tell us. And we'll correct it in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. Happy to, uh, if we said something wrong, we'll, we'll, we'll make that a segment. At the start of the episode, we'll, we'll correct anything we, we said wrong in the previous episode if people call us out about it um but yeah so <laughs> at least till i get this time machine going yeah until right. doug gets the time machine fully f- figured out <laughs> but uh cool well thanks for listening and see you next episode signing off cool cast, cool cast. <laughs> cool guys cool cast cool cast cool cast